Hi, and welcome. I'm Beth Schenker, the host of The Big Schmear, a new podcast about Jewish food. I'll be covering topics as diverse as the latest Jewish food trends to Jewish food history. And I'll be talking with chefs, restaurant owners, farmers, food critics, and lots of people in between. I want to keep this podcast lively, and I hope you'll help by sending me your ideas for future shows. You can write to me at this email address, beth at thebigschmear.com. Schmear is spelled S-C-H-M-E-A-R, where you'll find information about giveaways and recipes that I'll share from some of my guests. And be sure to check out my website, thebigschmear.com, where you can download episodes of this podcast. For those of you that missed our previous episode, I'm talking with Stephanie Goldfarb, Chicago cook extraordinaire, and this is part two. I want to get back into our conversation, but first let me tell you a little bit about Stephanie. Stephanie is the corporate chef at Produce Alliance and Chicago-based chef and national food television personality specializing in seasonal, globally-inspired cuisine. She's recognized as the winner of the Food Network's America's Best Cook competition and a celebrity chef on Kitchen Inferno and NBC's Food Fighters. And the reason she's here with me today, her life is all about Jewish food. She's the owner of the successful Seven Species Supper Club and Catering in Chicago. Stephanie enjoys the challenge of building brand new menus each month that inspire repeat clients and newcomers. And because all that doesn't keep her busy enough in her day job, Stephanie is the director of Youth Philanthropy and Leadership at the Jewish United Fund in Chicago, where she specializes in Jewish youth experiential education. Stephanie, welcome back to The Big Schmear. Thank you, Beth. I'm having such a good time. Me too. Me too. And I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I think in our conversation earlier, we were talking about a lot of your cooking experience and all the food prep that you do, which is uh, making me wonder, how did you decide to get into food competition? I mean, on the one hand, well, that's maybe one kind of food thing you haven't done yet. But on the other hand, it's a really different kind of food experience. So how did that happen, and, and what's it like? So I did not want to audition for my very first food show, which was America's Best Cook. And um, it's actually the show that I won. I went very uh, sort of like painstakingly. I found out about the competition from a coworker, and she told me, you should totally do this. I know you're a really good cook. And I made the mistake of telling too many people about it, and they nudged me, and it was like one thing led to another. And finally, I just said, you know what? All right, I'll do this. So I went to the open call, and one thing led to another, and before I knew it, I was being interviewed by producers, and they put me in front of a camera, and they, they liked what I, was, what, what I was bringing to the table. And I ended up getting cast on the show, and funny enough, they actually cast somebody in my place before they cast me, but she got pregnant and was unable to do the show. So I was like the understudy, and I ended up winning the whole thing. So... I never thought I would make it one day in that competition, and my goal really was just to survive the first episode. And there was literally zero like parts of me that thought, you know what, you're you have a good chance of this. You're going to win this thing. Like, you know, you, you're you're bringing all the cards to the table. Like, I had literally no confidence about it, and I had like a really really strong sense of humor, which I think actually is what helped me get through it. To me, this was like sort of like a lark, you know, that I was just sort of doing for fun. And as the other competitors were dropping off one by one and I was winning these these small competitions on the show, 
it became clear to me like, oh my God, you kind of have a chance. But it wasn't until the very last episode when I realized that I could I could win. And <laughs> it's still it's still crazy to me. So since then, I've been asked to be on a number of shows and not as the competitor, but as the competition. So my role has changed a little bit. And it's really fun. It's really fun. It seems like that would be a lot less pressure than... So it's a different kind of pressure. So being a competitor, you're actually at like the bottom of the hierarchy of the production. I mean, like you're, you know, you're, you're kept in waiting rooms, like cold hallways for hours on end, yada, yada, yada. When you're brought in as the competition, you're VIP. I mean, like they fly you in, like in like the nice section of the airplane. They put you up in the hotel. You have your own PA. It's like a really big deal. So like it feels like more pressure because all of the sudden I'm a professional chef, you know, and I'm the one that people have to beat. So it's a little bit more pressure that I put on myself. Whereas being a competitor, you know, there's just built in pressure to, to succeed. So but both roles are really, really fun. Making TV is a totally positive experience. Oh, yeah. I just I can't imagine it. I, I can't. <laughs> I couldn't either. <laughs> and so I'm guessing that you learned a lot by being in both roles, not just about the TV part of it, but also adding to your expertise on on cooking. And so I'm guessing also that that's played a role in what you do today and whenever you cook. And was any of that connected in some ways to Jewish food? Like you weren't making Jewish food during the competitions, were you? No. So, okay. So... (laughs) on almost every show that I've been on. I mean, my last name is Goldfarb. Like, I look Jewish. Like, they know I'm, like, a nice Jewish girl. They love to give me pork. They love (laughs) it. In fact, like, one of my clearest memories of, like, the last show that I was on, the secret ingredient was holiday ham. And I had, like, I picked up this. I had 15 minutes to make something with holiday ham. And I, I schlepped this holiday ham under my arm all the, meanwhile, all, all the time, like, thinking about my grandmother and her reaction to what <laughs> she was about to see on television. But I was, like, shredding this holiday ham with my bare hands like a wild animal. And I think that the producers just, like, love it. Like, I think they just love to see me go at it, you know, go, go at some pig. But I've cooked a lot of trafe on a lot of different cameras. And, you know, it's it's, like... I don't feel great about it, but I also like, you know, it's um, it's not I know that spiritually like that's not the food that I eat and it's not the food that I tend to make like on my own watch. So like I did it, you know, I do it for the cameras. I do it for the show, but I wish that they would stop giving me trafe to cook. <laughs> it would be really nice. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I'm just trying to picture that. I'm also picturing what exactly is holiday ham? Yeah, like you think like Easter Sunday, ham, like a giant ham that you would think of as a, like a family eating on like yeah. Easter Sunday, like that. Wow. Like a gigantic piece of a pig. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I know you do a lot of food prep, as you've just discussed. Um, and one of the questions I like to ask my guests are, what are the five things you have to have in your kitchen? Mm. Could be a food could be could be appliance, but what are the five things that are the most important things to you? And and for me, it's always interesting to hear what what people have to say. Mm. I think it tells you a lot about what they think is important, but it also makes you think about your own kitchen and how those things might impact your own cooking. So putting me on the spot. All right, I'm going to have to think of a list. All (laughs) right, so the very first thing that comes to mind for me is a tool which is called a bench scraper. 
if you make bread, you know what I'm talking about. It's the tool that you use to like scrape the dough off the countertop while you're working with it. And if you bake a lot and you don't have one of these things, you are never going to get the right consistency of the dough because it's going to be sticking to your countertop. But more importantly, you're never going to get your counters clean. So whenever anybody asks me about my favorite kitchen tool, that's the one that I always say. It's it's versatile. You can cut dough with it. Anyway, I could go on. I've, <laughs> I, could, I could write a poem about my love for my bench scraper. <laughs> so I would say that. I would say a cast iron pan. Nothing gets quite so hot. Nothing is as versatile, seasoned, well-oiled, you know, cast iron pan to sear meats. And, you know, I, I kind of do everything in a cast iron. So that, I would say my citrus zester is really important, the microplane, not just for citrus, but for lots of different things. But I really, really like to focus on balancing sharp flavors with fat and sweet. I really like to, you know, and to me, citrus is one of the best ways to do that. So got to get the microplane. Let's see. Um, that's three. I think that's three. All right. Uh, let me think of two more. Uh, one of the ingredients that I'm really excited about right now is chickpea flour or chechi flour. And I'm having a really fun time experimenting with, with that. I mean, you can make can make lots of different things with it. And it's a really nice gluten-free substitute. I, I'm not gluten-free, but I enjoy the, um, the challenge of cooking for gluten-free folks. And that's been like a really interesting ingredient to play with because of the really earthy flavor and its ability to make almost like like a bread like actually I make a bread with it in my cast iron pan speaking of so um so that and then I think one more right yeah but no pressure okay okay nope. one more let me just think off, off the top of my head I would say you know and I'm gonna contradict myself here a bag of all-purpose flour <laughs> I mean yeah like I just I bake a lot but not only that I love making pasta I love making dumplings. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a freak about Chinese food and, and Chinese dumplings, so um, I make a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm, I am getting hungry. <laughs> I'm hoping the sound of my stomach growling is not going to be on this, uh, on this tape here. Well, you might know somebody who can feed you after this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, it's, well, it sounds like from your school and deciding, making decisions about where you wanted to go next and how to form this amazing career that you were trying to balance a lot of different things. And so I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about your day job and what you do at that, because I think it might be interesting to folks. I would love to talk about it because this is this is one of my one of my biggest passions in my life is working with uh, young Jews. And I get to do it every day at the Jewish United Fund in Chicago. So I've been working there for seven years and I get to hang out with Jewish high school students, um, teenagers. And I run two different programs for Chicago teens. One of them is called Voices, the Chicago Jewish Teen Foundation. It's a Jewish philanthropy education program where I work with uh, groups of high school students to help them run their own philanthropic foundations. And these are not small philanthropic, we're talking like $50,000 a year between all the groups. I teach them how to think about philanthropy through a Jewish lens, how to read budgets, how to do community needs research. They're conducting really professional site visits with uh, nonprofits in Chicago and actually all around the world. So it's pretty awesome. And then the other program that I run is called RTI, which stands for the Research Training Internship. And this is really my baby. I work with a group of high school-aged, young Jewish, female-identified students every year, different group every year. And what I do is I teach them, and it's also through DePaul University. So we have a, a partnership through DePaul, which has been incredible. 
And what I do is I work with my students to teach them feminist research methodologies, which goes back to my background of like a mm-hmm. clinical social worker and somebody with a gender studies degree. So I'm teaching them these like academic feminist research methodologies and also doing political education with them around various social justice topics like intersectionality, race, class, gender, power, privilege, oppression. And what the students are doing is while they're learning all of these concepts, they're designing and doing their own original research on their own communities and identifying different oppressions, different needs in the community that someone like me as an adult could never do because I'm not in that in that community. So it's a beautiful program and I'm, I'm so honored to be able to, to do it. Boy, they sound like amazing kids. They, I get to work with the menschiest kids ever. I mean, the kids who come to me are just people. Sometimes say like, "How do you work with high school students? How do you? How do you, you know, I don't. I don't know what they're talking about. Like, these are like <laughs> the best people in the world, and it is such a deep, deep honor and such a, a privilege for me to be able to work with them. And do they know about your food life? Some and- of them do. Yeah, yeah. I try not to like talk about it too much. You know, like. They like what happens is like every year, like halfway through the year, some kid will like look me up online and then announce to the group, oh, my God, did you know Stephanie? Blah, blah, blah. And then like everyone will know, you know, so it's like a fun thing for them to learn about me or like we'll play two truths and a lie in the beginning of the year. And I'll say, you know, I want a food competition. And like that's like a fun, you know, Uh whatever. But yeah, you know, um, that world and my cooking world don't usually cross too much. So this is totally another uh, wavelength here. I know that you were recently in Israel. Mm-hmm. I think you told me that you'd been before. Yes. I wonder if you could tell me when you uh, when you went to Israel this last time, if food was part of one of the things that you thought about or explored while you were in Israel. Yes. Yes. It. it yes. It was <laughs> like a big, big, big uh, point of interest for me, obviously, while I was in Israel. So I was there on a 10-day trip called Honeymoon Israel. Uh, with my partner and 19 other couples from Chicago. It was incredible. And uh, we ate a lot. And I was very careful to pay attention, to pay close attention to the food that I was eating, not just in the hotel. I mean, like in Israeli breakfast at a hotel, for those of you who don't know, is it's an event unto itself. But I actually got the chance to eat some food that I never I never heard of before. And it was so inspiring to me as a chef. I'm, I'm like, I came back with like a million ideas. And um, I have a feeling that I will be doing an Israeli supper club in the near future because of it. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> but but first of all, so I've only been to Israel once, and I remember when I saw the breakfast at the hotel, yeah. I just thought... Did you plots? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So tell people a little bit about okay. what an average... Israeli so breakfast is like. the deal with the hotel breakfast, just like a little background, they're based on the breakfasts that folks on kibbutzim used to have. Kibbutz, kibbutz, a kibbutz is like a communal living entity, sort of like this like beautiful socialist dream where people would eat together and live together, yada, yada, yada. And Israeli breakfasts are really built on what these folks used to eat when they were like plowing the fields and they are hearty. So depending on the kind of hotel you stay at, like the better the breakfast, I was lucky enough to be staying at like a, some really nice hotels. And when you walk into an Israeli hotel breakfast, it's like, how do I explain it? It's heaven. I mean, (laughs) you're looking at tables and tables laden with 
fresh salads. I mean, there was like there was a probably like a a, a three foot honeycomb hanging by pillars dripping with honey, omelets, the barracas and blintzes, and there's a whole fish section and the cheese, forget the cheese, you've never tasted yogurt like this, you've never tasted cottage cheese like this, Israeli dairy products are, you've never tasted anything quite so good. These breakfasts are enormous and they're beautiful and very colorful. It's not like American breakfast where it's like a bunch of brown food on your plate. Israeli breakfasts have it's like really built on fresh vegetables and, and dairy and eggs. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Truly the land of milk and honey. Yeah, yeah, really the land. That's actually what I thought about every single morning as I heaped my plate full of <laughs> like 5% yogurt and then like drizzled on fresh honey from the honeycomb. Like it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual ex- experience if you allow it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, did you, did you, buy any kind of special spices or seasonings thinking in, you know, having in mind that when you come home, you're going to do this or not so much? Yeah, I came back with za'atar. I came back with paprika. I came back with halva. I came back with, I mean, like a million different spices, teas, all kinds of things that people in the markets uh, really threatened me to buy. They're very pushy. They're very, very, in in like the best possible way. So, and I'm a sucker. So um, I really bought everything. But um, there were definitely some foods that I had never eaten before that I couldn't take with me. And the two that come to mind are the lunch that I had, a Druze village, D-R-U-Z-E. The Druze are a religious minority in Israel, and I had never had exposure to them before, and I was lucky enough to have really one of the best meals that I've ever had in my life, cooked by this uh, Druze woman named Nora, and I got to visit her in her kitchen, and she cooked us all lunch, and I, I can't even begin to describe what was on this plate, cabbage rolls and kefta and hummus, but in ways that were unfamiliar to me and cooked in a kitchen that I, the kind of kitchen I'd never been in before. And it was really revolutionary. And then the second thing that I ate that I'd never had before was in Tzfat, which is the really like, it's like the mystical center of Israel. And I ate a sandwich there and, oh, God, forgive me. I'm forgetting the name. I think it's like Lachuch, something like that. Oh, yeah, I'm probably butchering it. But um, this Yemeni guy had a stall and he made this sandwich with actually bread made with chickpea flour and the most incredible Yemeni cheese and this spice paste that I will never forget. And I had never had anything quite like it before. I'm very inspired. I have a feeling that we're, unfortunately, we're almost out of time, but I have one last question to Mm -hmm. ask you. And that is, do you have a favorite Jewish food restaurant? Could be anywhere in the world. I mean, does my mother's kitchen count? Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, my mother, yeah, like, of course, if I could eat anything, it would come from my mom. But so the restaurant that I'm thinking of, actually, I haven't eaten at the restaurant, but I was able to cook with the chefs of the restaurant. Uh, My friends Liz Alpern and Jeffrey Yoskowitz from the Gefilteria in New York, I was lucky enough to, to cook with them in Chicago, and I was able to taste some of their food from their cookbook. And, I mean, it is really good deep, deep Ashkenazi food. So if you can, get yourself a copy of Gefilte Manifesto because there's some really good food in it. And they're really bringing Jewish Ashkenazi food into the current time without compromising any of the traditional cooking techniques. And to me, that's a connection to my ancestors. That's a connection to my past and my family that I've never really had before. And what a great title for that cookbook. Yeah. I, just, I just love that title. Yeah. I am sad that we're out of time, but I want to thank you so much for being my guest, Stephanie, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me. 
Our engineer is Mary Mazurik, and our theme music is performed by Cavatino Duo. Their music can be heard on their CD, Sephardic Journey, on the CD record label. Please write and tell me what you think of the show. Request a recipe, like Stephanie's two matzo brai recipes, and tell me what your favorite Jewish food restaurant is and where in the world they're located. I want to put a list together of Jewish food restaurants so that I can share it with all my listeners. My email address is beth at thebigshmear.com and visit my website, thebigshmear.com, where you can download episodes of this podcast. I'm Beth Schenker, the host of The Big Schmear, and I want to thank you all for listening. <laughs>